Do you ever feel like you don't know where to start when it comes to volunteer training? Don't have the time to record training videos? The brand new version of Ministry Grid has already done the work for you with over 750 courses for you to choose from. To help you get started right away, they even have created training pathways which provide volunteer, leader, director, and staff level training modules for each specific ministry area. Whether you're looking to train volunteers, teachers, or other leaders, you can use these pathways to equip all individuals within your church. With Ministry Grid, you can customize any training that you would like and add videos, PDFs, YouTube videos, and other content that you would like. And all this can be done right from your phone. Ministry Grid has been completely rebuilt to be made for mobile and train on the go. Now you can truly train anyone, anytime, and anywhere. Get started today at ministrygrid.com. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to another episode of EST. My name is Josh King, and this is the podcast for established church pastors by established church pastors. My good friends Micah and Sam are on as well. How are y'all today? Excellent day. Are you? Wonderful. Yep, it's a good day. So I know that it's, uh, you know, basketball, NFL, or not NFL, the NBA is doing something. I think they're playing some games. And then um, Major League Baseball is rolling. The Rangers actually beat uh, Houston the other day. That We felt good about that. Bartolo Colon for the Rangers took a no-hitter into the eighth inning. He's 45 years old and looks like a UPS delivery man. Have you guys <laughs> seen the Rays? Have you seen my team? Hey, uh, Sam, what's the Rays record? Uh, <laughs> what's the Rangers? I don't even know if it's on because television. I'm pretty but... sure the Royals have a worse record. Oh, no. The well, Royals have three wins for the season. Yeah, we're right there with you. If yeah. Rays fans have anything, it's well, at least we're not the Royals. But yeah, you guys won a World Series. But we won a World Series with a mm. with a famous Tampa Bay Ray on our team. Thank you to Ben Zobrist. <laughs> Thank you to and Ben then, Zobrist. And, and then and then he goes to the Cubbies and wins another and one. Wins one there and, the and MVP an MVP of the World Series. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I know that uh, Tampa Bay is three all... and twelve, and Kansas City's three and ten, and We're... Texas is also in. La- hey, our three teams are the three last place teams in the three American League divisions, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, oh, Rangers. My word. Go but Rangers. I'm wearing I'm I, I just got done with a workout, so I'm wearing my Royal sweatshirt and my Royal shorts right now. Uh I have a Nolan Ryan bobblehead next to me. I can just have him shake his head. Oh no, um, when it comes to bobbleheads, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, forty, fifty, six, seven, eight, about twenty Royals bobbleheads. So that's, I that's love insane. my bobbleheads. That's almost as bad as my <laughs> seventy coffee mugs that I'm looking at right now. The um I know not all of our listeners are Southern Baptist, but when that convention is here in dallas the rangers are actually going to be playing houston and so only playing them through sunday night yeah they're out of town after sunday i know and they're like um it's a two o'clock game in june in dallas so and i'm i'm preaching at brainerd that morning and then flying in so i won't it's be there outside. in time it's outside you know who's preaching here at your church yeah who dean dean and sarah yeah that's right he told me about that yeah I'm, man I, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped I'm excited. I love Dean. He's so funny. I love how that he gives all you SEC fans a hard time. 
all through the, uh, the he just season. likes to he, Dean is a is an antagonist. Well, you know, he's good would, at it, but that he's an would be why I like him so much. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Dean's also a Miami fan, pastoring in Tallahassee, so that's just creating a lot of angst in his heart. A Miami hurricane, Miami oh, okay. hurricane fan. All right, yeah. because the Dolphins are just yeah. Mm-mm. All right, but the NFL needs a team for women to cheer for. So there you go. We um. <laughs> oh, that's bad. We Josh. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble for that one. Somebody edit that. I hope some listener uh, writes Josh a nasty note yeah, after please, that one. Please, please do. Josh I mean, if it's from it's if it's from a fan, uh, they can do that all they want. Um, uh, so, listeners, send Josh a nasty gram. That, <laughs> that, that one deserves a nasty gram. That's right. Send it to West Brayton Baptist Church in Brayton. <laughs> Wrong Florida. church. No. Um, no. <laughs> uh, so... Speaking of last place and feeling bad about yourself and, you know, hard times, let's talk about benevolence. Uh, that was a segue. I tried. I so tried. are you wanting to uh, offer benevolence to Sam's raise? Is that what you're saying? Raise, what you're saying? the Rangers. We should start, a, like, a fund for the, the new stadium that we need because uh, it's going to be tough. The Rangers are building an indoor stadium. It's really – the, it looks nice. It's going to be right next to the Cowboys stadium, so – really kind of cool. Well, so, good for you guys. Isn't we don't the Rangers win champions, Stadium already next to the, the Cowboys Stadium? It is. Now, this yeah. one will be a little closer, but this one's indoor. So this yeah, one that'll be nice. That'll be nice. Yeah. yeah. So, Benevolence, do you guys have Benevolence funds at your church? I, I know several churches don't even do that anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we have a whole team that does it. We have a, uh, a separate fund for it. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we, we do a lot of Benevolence. How do you handle – so this is the biggest question I think a lot of people face – when somebody comes in and they they're having an emergency, they need money right now. But you have that feeling like I don't think you do. How do you handle that? We don't. If you, I mean, we do not hand out cash. We do mm. not do any emergency funding like that. I mean, if it was a church member and we knew them, we would figure out a way to help them. Sure. But the people that just walk in, we we have a process. We have a form that they have to fill out. It has to be during office hours. Um, then we, if it's financial assistance, we pair them up with somebody who has a financial background in the church, to, and they have to agree to that. And that filters through like 99% of your requests where mm-hmm. they're just looking for a quick cash handout. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I do not recommend churches do cash handouts um, because you will draw in the crowd that looks for that you mm-hmm. you, you don't want to go down that road it gets out information yes, it does. gets You'll have out a li- if you if they know that you hand out cash on monday mornings mm-hmm. there'll be a line of 30 people at your church yeah that's yeah, right the first that. church i pastored we were trying to be really generous with our benevolence and, and care for people and we had we started having people show up that didn't live in the community we didn't know them like we couldn't figure out why they were coming finally i just asked one of them i was like how did you? i mean and this church was very rural very small in the middle of nowhere. And I finally said to her, I said, how did you find our church? And she said, well, my government social worker told me that you guys gave it. And so they they sent me out here. And I said, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And that's when I realized we've got to change our benevolence policy. That's funny. So we have a number of different layers. So we have um, non-perishable food items, like we call them a family bag. That's all made up and ready. So if somebody comes in and they just need food immediately, we can just hand them that. It also includes a couple of gift cards to local, um, you know, grocery stores. They're not huge, maybe 25 bucks to Kroger's or something like that. That way they can get the milk and the the perishable items as well. We don't ever do any sort of cash. 
um, at all, and we tell them that we don't we don't pay bills and those sort of things. But we've partnered with a, a larger ministry in our area called the Friendship House, and they do. But the the reason we all you know this may be obvious, but all the churches funnel through that for that because they keep records. They keep records of these things and know. Um, because I've caught people who have gone to, you know, my friend's church up the road and they get the bill paid up there. They bring the same bill to me um, just within an hour and they're trying to get it paid. We've caught people doing that. And it's a sad reality. People in need. Um, sometimes people will take advantage of churches uh, and kind of hurt it for everybody else. Yeah, I think that's right. We we are similar uh, to what Josh mentioned at West, West Bradenton. We have... Um, we have a staff member who handles benevolence, and we have um, some deacons just, who work as well. You just said you're at West Bradenton. I said similar to West Bradenton. Oh, oh okay. sorry, oh, sorry. I think sorry. I thought I said similar to West Bradenton. Maybe <laughs> I didn't. That was what I intended to say. We're, We're just sending everybody to West Bradenton. You come down similar. anytime you want, Micah. You're always yes, welcome. Thank Send you. your hate mail and yes. your benevolence needs to West Bradenton. <laughs> But we, uh, I, I, what I intended to say is, we behave similarly to West Bradenton. We have uh, we have a staff member who handles it. We have some deacons handle it. We have a form that you have to fill out. You can get X amount of benevolence over a specific period of time, and then you you can't get more benevolence uh, after that period of time. One thing we've not done at Brainerd, of course, I haven't been here that long, but we did start doing it at my last church, is um, similar to what jo- uh, Sam mentioned. We started people who would come in for benevolence. We would not only provide immediate benevolence, but then we would put them together with a coach who could help them develop a long-term plan so that they, so that the problem wasn't perpetuating. You know, that's cool. Is do you understand what it's like to do an interview for a job? Do you know how to get a job? Can we help connect you with people in the church who are hiring right now? That sort of thing. Trying to help both the immediate need and do what we could to provide long-term assistance so that there wasn't a perpetual need for them to come back over and over. Do you guys do any sort of like gospel presentation? Yes. Do yeah, you, it's expected. Yeah. Every every time we do benevolence for someone, it, it's a part of the it's a part of the conversation every single time. We actually have a fair amount of people who um, communicate that they're trusting in Christ, but it, there's always a little bit of a question as to whether they're doing that because they feel like there's an obligation to do that to be able to get resources or not. But we do always try and make that, uh, not always try. It's always a part of the the process. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, you don't ever want to make benevolence contingent upon, you know, that sort of thing. But at the same time, you have to be obedient to the opportunities that are in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, of of course, a lot of people are going to tell you what you want to hear. I mean, they're there to get help. They'll, you know, if you're a, a single mom who's, you know, lost her house and, uh, you know, struggling to even find a place to live, and you've got kids. You, you know, you're just gonna—you're in survival mode. You're—you're you're pretty much gonna do what you got to do. Right. Uh, and we get that, but y- it's not, you can't not share the gospel because mm-hmm. of you may think, well, they—you know—what what if they just say what we want to hear? No, you still have to share the gospel. You just got to have a lot of discernment in those cases, and it's difficult to know. It's difficult to set up too stiff of parameters because every case is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you still have to have a, a general guideline, a general framework. Um, I would tell uh, any church, do not give cash, do not give out money. You pay bills directly. You call their landlord. You call their power company. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't just give them checks. That's not wise for anybody. The temptation is too great there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, like, we pay rent. We pay electric bills. We have a few other th- medical bills to, to some degree. You can get helped four times a year up to a certain amount. 
Um, and, and we stick to that, and we have a log. And then there's another agency in the community that actually is the gatekeeper, and everyone reports to them. So we're actually able to find out, like, how, how much have they been helped by other people? That's um, helpful. And, and to what degree? I think that's really helpful. And there's areas that need that more than not. I don't think we get as many um, requests for benevolence. We're in sort of an affluent uh, suburb of Dallas. And so the local need is not as great in that area. Also, we're not very like, uh, you know, uh, the Dallas area rail transit doesn't come out here. So like the buses and the the transportation, those sort of things. There's not a lot, a lot of people walking, those sort of things. So we don't have the kind of walk-in need. But as you said, they're calling the um, electric company yourself. That's how we caught, you know, people who, when we called, they said that was just paid like an hour ago by such and such church. We just talked to y'all and we're like, no, that's a different church. So that really helps. But back to the gospel thing. Um, I just, I just started sharing the gospel after I would help. So, um, one person in particular needed gas. And so I said, I'm going to take you over here and I'll, I'll fill up your gas tank. So we went over there and I filled up the gas tank and I said, so I just said, so obviously I'm going to help you. Like I'm paying for this right now, but do you mind if I share something with you as, you know, what I believe and, and what I think could help you in a greater level? And, and they were, they were attentive to it. They didn't respond, of course, and the, or not of course, but they didn't respond the way that we would hope that they would, but they did, they were attentive to it. And I hope that just the fact of, um, I cared for you then shared to you was, um, something maybe was impactful for them. So tell us a success story. Do, do either of you have a, um, a case that actually was a really good case and the people got their life turned around. I mean, have you, have you guys ever seen that? I mean, I have a success story in, in line of benevolence, but it's not necessarily like kind of the way you phrased it there. Uh, we, we offered a very large food pantry here and provided food and clothing and help with bills and things like that. And Every year we do, you know how some churches do kind of an angel tree, which is great. I think those are really fantastic. We did what we called a crossroads tree, which was just we ripped off that idea completely. And um, our crossroads ministry, um, you could grab a little card, and what you were going to do is bring this bag back full of groceries, and we needed this many gift cards, et cetera. And we always kind of keep the gift cards for those people that walk in. We give the food away immediately. Um and we just got a call. We just found out that another pastor in the community at a much smaller church had lost their home. They were really struggling. And so I called him and had him come over during off hours, not during the time where everybody kind of lines up and fills out the form and stuff like this. And we just loaded their car full of groceries and food and everything that they needed. And it really helped them get through a hard season. And so that was something it made a big difference in that pastor. Later on, that church and us had have such a great relationship. And most people don't know why, but we have a great relationship because we were able to help in a very substantial way. And so that was always, uh, having that ability was something that was really fun for me. Cool. Yeah, we, um, we've had some success stories here. One of the things that we've done is pastors who don't make a lot of money mm-hmm. um, will actually help scholarship their kids for camps, summer camps. Hmm. Um, it's kind of done on a you know low key basis. We don't really advertise it, but you know we 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 we've reached out to some people in our network and have helped there. Um, so that that one's always a good one because you know obviously those families are very deserving um, and would never ask for it. So we, right. we you know we've uh, we've been able to do that. But we had this one story where 
um, there was a, a homeless family. We, we have a lot of homeless, a lot of homelessness in our community due to the massive heroin problem here among and cocaine too. Um, so it, it is an issue here at our mm-hmm. church and in our community. Um, so we had a family that came came to our church, and you know they they were le- a legitimate case, and they needed they needed some things in their lives that they they needed to you know step up to, and they did, and we got them paired up with a um, you know a financial counselor, and um, you know they've become you know they we have some homes, we have four parsonages, so we're able to actually provide housing at times, and provided them housing, and you know they got jobs, and uh, actually their daughter was recently baptized, and. Um, have assimilated into the church very, very well, um, and have gotten their life back together and doing doing relatively relatively good. Um, so it's always neat to to see those kinds of of stories. That uh, obviously those are more rare than they are the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it keeps it's stuff like that that keeps me going, knowing that hey, uh, benevolence is something that every church should be doing to some degree. Um, you look at Acts chapter four. And what the early church was doing, even among the congregation itself, um, I just say that this is this is part of a good gospel work. It doesn't mean you're doing handouts. It, it doesn't mean that you know you're giving cash out to people. But I, I mean, I, I just have to say that this is something that every church can do, no matter how small, mm-hmm. um, no matter what your budget is. You can make room to to do benevolence and to help people. And if you do that, it is going to give you gospel opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think this is a very important topic and one that is worthy of every church looking at. It doesn't mean that the way we do benevolence is the way you need to do it, but it does mean that you should be doing it. And I think that there's a biblical precedent for that. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, as we kind of think through this, the benevolence issue, I think Sam's right that it is something we should do. I think this is one of those areas um, – We've not really said this yet, but the clear biblical precedent is this is one of the areas where the deacons ought to be leading out in yeah. churches. Oh, I mean, yeah, this absolutely. Is why deacons were started in the first place, because of a benevolence need. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think often pastors sort of get tasked with this because we're in the office during the week. Uh, but I think the biblical model is, to the degree as possible, at least particularly with within the needs inside the church, is that the deacons are the ones who are leading and responsible for that. And uh, we've actually been thinking a lot about deacon roles at Brainerd lately and just trying to understand biblically what they're called to do. But um, how are you guys using deacons in the process, and how do you train and, and sort of qualify them in that, in that process? Hmm. Well, we, you know, here, like most churches, and I think y'all's as well, so the deacon minister is the same. So there's we have paid deacons and non-paid deacons, and so... Um, all of this is handled through what you would call a, a paid deacon. So wait a minute, you would say a deacon and a, and a pastor are the same? Is that what you're saying? No, no, deacons and ministers, pastors and elders are the same. So just to use our like typical Southern Baptist language, yeah, um, the pastor, elders are the same, deacon, mm-hmm. minister are the same. So that's um, interesting. For, for instance, like we don't. We don't have a worship pastor. We have a worship minister. We don't have a student pastor. We have a student minister. Those are those are paid deacon positions. See, see this is interesting to me, Josh. Uh, we I actually have um, a pretty strong biblical objection to paying anyone with the title minister, and so mm-hmm. it's a it's a prohibition at our church. Nobody who gets a paycheck is allowed to use the title minister. Uh, my argument is that the 
one of the primary tasks of the pastor. In fact, this book I'm working on with Moody Press is built around this concept. Mm-hmm. One of the primary responsibilities of the pastor is to equip all the saints for works of ministry. Mm-hmm. That ministerial responsibility is the collective responsibility of every member of the church, mm-hmm. and therefore to elevate certain members to the minister title diminishes the collective ministry responsibility of every other member. Does that make mm. sense? You see it what I'm does. saying there? I think ours is just out of functionality. It's just sure. a term that... I get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I was trying to track with you the deacon serve the deacon, the way you do deacons, and I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not objecting. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not objecting to that at all. Right. We just don't use the minister title, so we would use a director title, like director of music ministry, well, or di- yeah, that's you a know, good director that's a good of yeah. kids ministry, or something like that. Yeah, the same, it's the same principle. It is the same principle. Yeah, we just I, I got hung up on the minister title because I'm, I, I get, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> right. The, way the, the distinction that I've always made, at least the biblical distinction that I see, the major one between deacons and pastors is the ability to teach. So, you know, if mm-hmm. you're if, if you're teaching and providing sort of, you know, that that kind of insight in the church, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 more on a pastor side and if you're serving, you know, it's more it's more on the, the deacon side, although deacons can teach and pastors should certainly should I think the serve. distinction for us is authority. So the the personalities who make decisions that are overarching that affect the whole church, the the direction of the church, those are pastors and they're set aside differently than those who are serving the church. You know, just to steal, it's not a straight comparison, but it helps to understand. You know, um, we've all watched West Wing, and you know the Mm. phrase that they keep saying, I serve at the discretion of the president. Serve at the pleasure of the president. I serve at the pleasure of the president. That's Mm -hmm. similar to the concept. So you have the elders or pastors or whatever the church, and then deacons and ministers serve at the discretion or the direction of the pastors. And so it's a little bit different and weird, but... I would say... um, I, I, I actually teach this pretty regularly when I'm teaching pastors. I say that no pastor, and, and people get aggravated at me when I say this, but I say pastors do not have a responsibility to do ministry as a part of their vocational responsibility. Hmm. And what I mean by that is pastors have a, the way I, I phrase it is pastors have a familial responsibility to do ministry. In other words, every member of the family has mm. a responsibility to do ministry. We have a familial responsibility to do ministry. Our vocational responsibility, what sets pastors apart, is Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for works of ministry. What is our unique role, our unique task, is that we're the developers and equippers of all the ministers. Mm. Does that make sense? But the problem is in the American church, we've turned the pastoral role into the doer of the most ministry, not the equipper of all the ministers. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. That's, that's why on our that's, staff here, we say we don't do ministry. We make sure ministry gets done. So we're yeah, trying to develop ministers. Now, we do ministry, of sure, course. Of course but, you do. Yeah. Um, but so we're talking deacons, about benevolence, Deacons though. and benevolence, I think, yeah. is what we yeah. were talking about. We got about. off track a little bit. But, but I mean, still, that's the point. Like, in, in fact, I was talking to our deacons last night. Think about this, even when it comes to benevolence. Mm-hmm. What's the ultimate aim for the deacons doing benevolent service? It's not, it's not just so that the needs of the church get met. In a sense, that's a benefit of deacon service. The point of deacon service, go back to Acts chapter 6. There's two things that are foundational. Number one, the apostles say, do this so that we're free to care about the word and prayer, Mm -hmm. right? So the deacons who are doing benevolence are are safeguarding the pastor elders so that they can watch over the doctrine, the theology, and spend time in prayer over the church. And the result of deacon benevolence ministry is the gospel went out and many believed, Right. If you look at Acts chapter six, that's the immediate response to the deacons caring for the widows who had physical needs. 
the deacons doing that freed the pastors up to preach. The word went out. People believed and the gospel advanced. We've got, we don't do a good job of integrating all that together when we help train and our deacons about what it means to serve in benevolence ministry. Right. And I would also add this, though. The way – so what you're talking about there is the service project, that there was a there was a real need that needed – there was an administration that needed to happen. So they needed to be uh, – the Hellenistic widows needed their, you know, meals as much as the um, the Jewish widows did as well. But there's also in Acts, what is it, 240-ish around that area in which the the needs of the church – so when you're talking about benevolence within the body – the mm-hmm. needs of the church were cared for mm-hmm. by other church members selling what they had and providing for those for all of the needs and so this is one of the reasons where inner uh, membership uh, benevolence is taken care of primarily through our small groups and so that's that voicing that telling we we teach our small groups that's how these needs are met so you let your small group know when you're in need if you can and then the small group rallies around and i've seen that happen a bunch of times here at our church where they all rally around. There's a, you know, somebody's waiting on um, an adoption, and finally that comes through, and all of a sudden they need to be somewhere real quick. So you need plane tickets, you need car seats, all this sort of stuff kind of gets all brought together by the small group. Or somebody loses their job and the small group comes together, providing meals, paying for bills, those sort of things. And so um, that's another aspect that you're that you're bringing out there in the way this was originally supposed to function, and all of the members being ministers. And so kind of pushing that and teaching them in a way that allows them to own that, I think is a, a valuable point. Yeah, I think a networked church is is absolutely crucial here. And what I mean by that is high interne- interconnectivity among the people. Uh, because when benevolence is just a separate program and you're just dealing with walk-ins, uh, I mean, there's there's a need for that, but... It's much better if the people themselves recognize the needs and bring those needs to the forefront, mm-hmm. um, as you are mentioning. I, I don't. It doesn't matter to me how that happens, whether it's through groups or some other means. But one of the things that pastors can help do is to one create a culture of the church that enables people to talk with each other, and then also not only just a culture but a system that allows for that to happen too. So you need these pathways of people being able to help each other. One of the things that I've seen uh, several of our members do is just set up meal trains for any number of people for any number of reasons, where for a week or a month, we're going to bring you a meal. Did they ha- Did they need to, and they do it on, they do it through Facebook, and did they need the pastor's permission to go do that? No. No. Yeah. But dude, this, it's just a culture in our church. It's like, there's a need, let's go meet the need. And I think once you have that culture and that system in place, um, you'll see people step up a little more because I think a lot of people just think, well, is this is this my responsibility? Should I be doing this? Is this okay? And for a lot of benevolence, you don't even need the pastor's permission. Just go do it. Just go help somebody. Right. And the, But to, in order to get there, that culture has to be present within the church. <laughs> That's any, benevolence. That's what you got to do. Any other is, deep thoughts? Well, we could do some deep thoughts by Herbert. Jack Handy. What? You don't know what you... Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy are? Mm-mm. Oh, that... my gosh. I'm so that... disappointed in you, Josh. Well, I'm a millennial. Is this something you, need to you Google. guys did? You need to go. You guys, you're killing me. <laughs> I, I, you're know, killing I know me, I know. what you're talking about, Micah. Thank you, Sam. I, I, Sam has a sense of humor. I, well, yeah, my, uh, I, I, I have to be careful uh, with my sense of humor because this is recorded. And yeah, that's listen. right. Um, 
I'm better. I'm better off if uh, if I could deny. Um, but yeah, I remember deep thoughts. With Thank you. Me. Anyway, what is it? I mean, like uh, asking... you just need go- you need to Google it and be prepared to laugh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> just just okay, do well, it. you know. So the benevolence within the church and the benevolence outside of the membership is handled differently. How do you guys? Do y'all ever have an opportunity to handle benevolent needs of other ministers? And have you ever done that? Do you ever pay for the bills of like maybe somebody who's struggling by vocationally or something? Absolutely. You're talking about other pastors. Mm-hmm. Those that is the highest priority for us. Hmm. Um, if, if we learn of other pastors who are struggling, um, we absolutely take the initiative to help them, and have done so on numerous occasions. Again, this is something that is very private. It's not something we advertise. It's just it's it's part of my network. It's part of other staff and their network, but. Um, yes, for us, you know, church members and pastors in the community are, are, are our highest priority. Not to the neglect of others, of course, but when we learn of a pastor struggling, we absolutely jump to the forefront of that. I do have one kind of final question. How do you guys handle, you know, it's all it always happens, and it's, it's a bad thing for people to say, but when you're talking about homeless ministering and benevolence in the homeless or—, or uh, we ran into this a lot because we did clothing in our ministry that handed out both food and clothing. And there's these accusations about what will be done with the money or mm, what will be done with right. the clothing. How do you teach or lead your people to – so you still got to help. And mm-hmm. um, what, what do you do? Because like the clothing thing, there is – and it is a reality, a secondhand market, um, people who will – just take gobs and gobs of clothes from a place like us and then go off and sell it, you know, at Plato's Closet or something like that. How do you um, how do you teach your people we still need to help? and Or do you put guards in? I, I, I just yeah, don't I know mean, how I to kind of help with that. I think there is a sense that we do the right thing regardless of whether the person we help does the right thing. Uh, we do have an obligation to um, – to make sure that our helping is done in a way that that actually helps. And if you guys have not read the book, if our listeners have not read the book, When Helping Hurts by mm-hmm. Brian Fickert, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a staple for us at Brainerd, not just in how we do benevolence, but how we think about missions. So yeah, we do have an obligation to make sure that our helping is done in a way that helps and not hurts. But at some point, um, when we see genuine needs, we do the research and we try and meet those needs. What the person does with benevolence, I mean, that, we, we can't, uh, we don't have any ability to control that, and nor that do I think we necessarily should have the ability to control that. I think the approach that I've always said is, well, then do what you're comfortable doing. So I had pushback one time with somebody. I said, you know, I was talking about helping with the homeless and those sort of things. And the pushback was, well, if I just give them money, you know, they're just going to drink it or shoot right. it up their nose or something. And I said, then fine, don't give them money. Take them literally to the next you know, restaurant and buy their food That's and, sit right. there and talk to them and share the gospel with them. That's right. And that shut that conversation down real fast when I said, you know, and by the way, hand out money, just ben- treat them the way Jesus would. Benevolence in the church is ought to only be a reflection and should a uh, reflection of the benevolence in the individual lives of the people in the church and should not be a replacement for benevolence in the lives of our people. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. Good word. if we're not careful, we create structures of benevolence where people say, well, I don't have an obligation to serve people. That's what the church does. Right, And so the question you have to ask is when you see the person on the side of the road saying, I'm hungry, can you help? Are you ever inclined to help? 
when the person is in your neighborhood and you know that they've had a significant issue, are you inclined to help? Or do you just anticipate that the only times benevolence happens? Benevolence in our church should just be a reflection of the generosity of our people Mm -hmm. uh, who are already living lives, benevolent lives, where we're caring for people as we have opportunity. And and it's messy, but here's the thing. Um, What I found at our church, and we we partner with uh, a local ministry that, that does work among the homeless. We didn't reinvent the wheel. We just went to the people that are already doing it. And it's always messy, and it's difficult. Anytime you serve the quote-unquote least of these, it's tough. It's very tough. Um, By definition, it's tough. But I found that the more that I get my people involved, the more people that are here jump in and help, even when you're like, I don't know where this money's going, I have some questions— I find that a lot of those kinds of concerns, like, oh, you know, the, the, uh, the grumpiness of, you know, you know, talking about benevolence goes away. Because when you see it and it's right in your face, it's very difficult to deny uh, that, that people like that not only need help, but they need Christ. So I, I really think the solution to a lot of this is just roll up your sleeves and get dirty. Ministry mm. is messy. And it's going to be messy, and there's going to be times where you get taken advantage of. But I find that our people become less and less concerned about that the, the more that they do. Um, so yep. it's just a matter of digging in and doing it. And, and it, you'll figure it out as you go. I mean, if right. you dig in and do it, you will. I mean, it, 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 it will happen. That's a good word. That's all the time we have for today's episode. But I do want to remind people of the October 4th EST conference that's happening here in the Dallas area and would like to invite everybody to that. We do have a short link. We're setting up a better link here in the, you know, probably by the time this podcast goes live. But right now, if you want to go check it out, it's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash EST conference. And the E-S-T-C on that, that last part there need to be capitalized. You can find all the information, register, bring your team, all to that conference. I, I just want to say we're not getting paid for this conference or anything like this. This is a ministry. This, the, the fees are paying for the event. Wait, you like didn't that. tell me that. <laughs> I'm not getting paid for this? Uh, nope, you're not getting paid. I'll buy you barbecue or something. So, okay. um, you know, I just want to spend some time with you, uh, our listeners, hear what's on your heart. We want to share some things from our heart. Also, the thumb is going to be there, which is always <laughs> worth um, – everything you know paying and getting there and and uh, one of my favorite features of this conference is just the the format so it's so close to the dfw airport you can fly in that morning be a part of the conference fly out that evening you don't need to buy uh, or rent a hotel room or airbnb or anything like that and it'll just kind of take care save some money there so uh, make sure that you are subscribing rating review us and share uh, your your questions on twitter and we will catch you next week You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the Word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.